Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. This week, we celebrate Father's Day. What a great opportunity we have to pause, remember, and express our gratitude toward our fathers who raised us, sacrificed immensely for us, loved us, supported us, taught us about responsibility, roughhoused us, and wrestled with us, walked with us down the aisle, taught us how to throw a ball, got us out of trouble many times, that is, if he ever found out, and taught us life lessons and even disciplined us when we needed it. For these, we are ever grateful. What joy the blessing of these memories fill us with. And for those who are able, we hope you take the time to honor your father in your own creative, meaningful way. At the same time, we know there is another reality. We understand that this day also brings a lot of mixed, ambivalent feelings to others whose memories are more solemn or even filled with suffering. We realize this is a difficult and awkward reality to mention on a day that ought to be joyous and positive. But we know there are many of you out there who feel more triggered by the ideals and smiles of this day. So we want to briefly mention that there is space for this. There is space for feeling this way. And in this episode, we want to talk a little bit about the reason for this and that the Bible itself informs us about it. Since Genesis to modern times and until kingdom come, the image of God as father has perhaps been the most attacked by the enemy, the father of lies. From the crisis of absent fathers to abandonment, and even abuse, fatherhood, as well as masculinity, has been captured, distorted, destroyed, and counterfeited in every generation since Adam hid from the presence of the Lord. As followers of Yeshua, we believe the onslaught has been so heavy because fatherhood captures the heartbeat of God's love for humanity, his own image bearers. 
God is from the very beginning Father, Abba. And above every other attribute, God is love. His love flows directly from His fatherhood. And yet, for so many out there, it is the hardest thing to associate these two words together. But according to Scripture, God's fatherhood has the potential to show us some of the richest and transforming truths of God's heart, person, and love. Therefore, such a role would become one of the enemy's main targets, one of the worst distortions that comes with a host of counterfeits, false images, and unbiblical associations. If the enemy can somehow disrupt how we view the fatherhood of God, he can also disrupt our overall image of him as well. But when we take in, really take in the truths of scripture, we not only replace the lies that are destroying God's image within us, but we are in a very real way restoring and redeeming God's image within us. Fatherhood is one of the most natural things for all men to attain because all men are made in God the Father's image and the gospel gets us there. The gospel itself is inspired and was set into motion out of God's strong fatherly love for the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is a fatherly concern for his children's protection. He longs to get us out of trouble he will pay. He will sacrifice immensely and give it all to save his children. Today, we will listen to the testimonies of three Jewish men who can testify to the Father's love, fighting for them, saving them, and getting them out of the trouble they found themselves in. God proved to be the Abba they never had. Lawrence saw and bargained with God as a master, but once he met his Messiah, he began to see God as his father. Not long after, Lawrence would face a very challenging moment as a new dad when he and his wife received some difficult news about their baby that was born. Here is Lawrence's story of the faith, hope, and love of a father. A surgeon came in. He told us that we should leave Sarah, leave our baby in the hospital, and uh, to walk away from her, not to bond with her, don't feed her, just leave her, walk away, and have other children. And to hear that kind of advice from, from a doctor, from a surgeon, we were in a total daze and shock that our child wouldn't live. I believe my great-grandfather was the first Jewish ostrich farmer in South Africa. My grandfather always wore this special hat. He had also put on the uh, tefillin, the phylacteries around his, his arm and around his head. He would uh, take me to the synagogue uh, on Shabbat. As a young boy, it's coming up to my bar mitzvah. The rabbi made a speech and uh, he got up and he said, well, it's a shame that Lawrence is not as good at Hebrew as he is at rugby. So uh, I was the uh, sportsman in the family. My brother, Alan, on the other hand, was more of the philosopher, the thinker. When my brother came home from uh, an army pass on the weekend, he had this uh, Bible and some uh, literature, and my brother and I shared a bedroom together. So he hid that uh, literature uh, under his bed. I'm not really sure how this happened, but my parents 
found that Bible. And I was really quite shocked to, to see their response to my brother's um, interest. And I'd never seen my dad cry before, but I saw him cry. My brother put it aside and uh, vowed not to, to think about Jesus again. I met Louise when I was uh, 15 and she was 14, even at a young age, talking about one day when we got married. And she had agreed that if we ever did get married that uh, she would convert and become Jewish. It was at that time uh, that uh, Jews in South Africa were wondering about the future. And uh, a lot of Jews decided to go to Australia. I had to consider leaving behind my, my beautiful uh, girlfriend. And that was extremely traumatic. So I had a little deal with God. God, if you'd bring us back together, if we could see each other again, I would become a good Jew and that will bring up our children to be good Jews. And in that year, things really began to change. My brother, once we had come to Australia, started to think about Jesus once again. He became a very strong believer in Jesus. He had a very a supernatural encounter with God. His life was completely changed. He was saying things like, I really love Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. And I thought that was very odd. First of all, because Jesus was a man and he lived 2,000 years ago and I couldn't understand this love that they shared for one another. Not only that, of course, Jesus was dead. So how could he, he love Jesus? And it really didn't make any sense to me. And he just said, listen, Lawrence, I want to read to you. He started to read about this man who had been rejected by his people, who had come to suffer and die for the sins of others, not his own. And after he had read the scripture to me, I said to him, well, that's obviously all about Jesus, and that must be in the New Testament. Well, of course, he was very quick to show me that he had just read from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, the prophet who wrote 700 years before Jesus. I was really struck with that prophecy. It was a prophecy that really made me think that there is some truth to what my brother was sharing with me. That made me feel very uncomfortable. I always felt a very strong connection with my Jewish identity, and here I was being confronted with uh, the truth about Jesus being the Messiah. I started to, to think to myself, really, Jesus could be our Mashiach, our Jewish Messiah. And if he is, well, then I had to, as a Jew, believe in him. And so I came to a point when the opinion of God became more important to me than the opinion of my people. That was very difficult because I was worried about what would my mom and dad think? What, what would my family think if I went the same way as my brother? But that night, I prayed to accept Yeshua as my Mashiach. That was the day that my life completely changed. I phoned Louise. She's back in South Africa. And I shared with her, I said, look, uh, Louise, I've got something to tell you that I pray to accept Jesus as my Messiah. And I was totally shocked at her response. She said, so have I. Louise and I never talked about it, so we didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. And in that first year, as I was coming closer and considering faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, so Louise was back in South Africa. And we were totally amazed how God kind of entered into our lives, revealed the Messiah to us at the very same time. Seven months later, we got married under a chuppah in South Africa, Louise uh, became pregnant and uh, she had a very normal pregnancy. And eventually Sarah was born. 
But when Sarah was born, she didn't cry. The doctor had uh, come in to, to speak to us. And he told us that Sarah was born with no brain. And he said, well, we don't think Sarah will live. She'll probably only live two or three days, which of course, those words went right over our heads. And we were totally shocked at, at what we were hearing. And we knew in our hearts though, that we couldn't just walk away from Sarah. And so uh, we took her home the very next day. And uh, Sarah was um, very unwell. Louise, as a beautiful mother, was just praying that God let Sarah live. Let there be a miracle, let Sarah be healed. I was angry with God in the first couple of years. I had to try and understand where was God. I knew that Sarah was gonna live. And I can't tell you for sure that I was happy about that at first. I, to my uh, shame, I was really asking God to take her. I didn't really want to go through a difficult time. And God began to use Sarah in the most amazing way in our lives. The doctor had said that Sarah would be a vegetable, that she wouldn't smile. And um, the first time she smiled, she smiled at me. And she really melted my heart. And I really had felt like perhaps, you know, like a murderer, that I wanted her to die. I didn't want her to live. And I really repented of that because I knew God had a special purpose for Sarah's life to, to do something deep within me, to do something uh, in us as a family. Sarah today is 27 years old, and yet Sarah's life has spoken so much to us and to others, uh, even though she herself has never spoken a word. I came to realize, though, that, uh, that God works through difficult times in our lives in very powerful ways, that uh, He actually speaks to us louder through our suffering than he does through our pleasures. And Sarah's disability has taught us so much about God, has taught us so much about life. Life is not perfect. There's a lot of challenges. I think there's one thing that is common to all humanity and that is suffering. And he uses all these things in our lives to speak to us in very profound ways. And that makes God very impressive, the way that he can actually use difficult life circumstances uh, to teach us and to mold us and to make us into, God willing, better human beings. Thankfully, Lawrence was able to look to Yeshua during his moments of pain. Our next story is very different. In his long search for spiritual fulfillment and success, Jeffrey found himself in a lot of trouble spiritually and psychologically. Deep down inside, he felt like so many fathers out there, giving so much and trying so hard, but still feeling desperate, hopeless, with nothing to show for his work and with no desire to live. But because of an unlikely friend he meets at the gym, God the Father gets Jeffrey out of all his troubles. sudden I come up out of my body, I turn over, and I'm looking down upon myself, and I float away, and I come back, and I come back into my body. Something was going on. What I didn't know was what side it was on. Was it from the light or from the dark? So I was born into a secular Jewish home. We celebrated uh, Passover, uh, Sukkot, Hanukkah, and I remember going to synagogue a lot. The prayers were done in Hebrew, 
we didn't really understand what we were saying. And we would be like, this is what we do as Jewish people, but what are we actually saying? I remember, you know, being in, in temple and just sitting there listening to, to the rabbi and just looking up at the stained glass windows and I didn't feel God in the congregation. I felt him personally. And so growing up in a Jewish family, there's a lot of pressure on success, achievement, good grades, good school, good job. And so as I left for high school and I left for college, you know, I had to pick a major and I went to a school for business. Although all I really wanted to do was sing, dance and do sports. But I feel that this is what I have to do. And it, and it really tore me up. I'm not succeeding here. I'm not doing well. Not only did I feel like I was disappointing my parents, I was disappointing myself. I've had it. I'm out of here. And I left college. So that whole experience over those years of trying and effort and failing just primed me for a headfirst dive into New Age spirituality. So here I am meditating, finding the silence and the peace and emptying my mind. And the problem with that is that in an empty space, something's gonna come in. I would start to feel this, this oppression, um, this sense of, of odd control nudging me into certain directions. Go here, go there, pick that up, turn around and walk back. And I felt like if I didn't do what that that, that presence or that voice was telling me to do, that something bad would happen to me. I even had an outer body experience once where here I am laying on my bed and all of a sudden I come up out of my body, I turn over and I'm looking down upon myself and I float away and I come back and I come back into my body. Something was going on. What I didn't know was what side it was on. Was it from the light or from the dark? And come to find out that sure enough, it was from the dark. I was doing everything I can to, to put on a happy face and not let anybody know what was happening inside of me, but, but people knew. So my wife started noticing that I was going into depression. I remember one day lying on the floor in my wife's arms, just bawling my eyes out. And I'm crying and I'm looking up at her and I'm saying, I, I'm sorry, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've spent 20 years in an effort to become more spiritual, successful, enlightened, and I have nothing to show for it. I'm empty. And to be honest, I really didn't have much strength or effort to live anymore. But I looked at my beautiful wife and I looked at my beautiful children and I said, that, wow, there's no way I could take myself out of this world, even though I have no desire to live. I'm tired of pretending like I'm some sort of advanced spiritual being when deep down inside I knew that I was broken. And I thought, what's wrong with me? I've dedicated the last 10 years, 12 years, 15 years to meditation and spiritual practice, positive affirmations, and I have nothing to show for it. So here I am, I'm going to the gym, and this really tall guy comes up to me. And he looks at me and he says, you know, I've been, I've been watching you and you know, we're about the same age and um, I just wanna know, what do you eat? And I said, okay, well, you know, you don't really wanna know what I eat. And he's like, what, what, burgers and pizza and whatever you want? And I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I eat a, a plant-based diet. So the next day I come in and I, I look at this guy and he's over at the other side of the gym and I'm like, 
you know, I kind of feel drawn to this guy. I want to go ask him a question. So I walk over and ask him. I said, hey, what do you do, by the way? And he goes, I'm a pastor. And, and for some reason, that, that sparked something in me. And so I started asking him, asking him these questions, and he'd give me these really concise answers. And then I'd go home, and I'd say, you know, honey, I had this interesting experience at the gym, and, 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 we, and we talked a little bit about, about, about Christianity. We talked a little bit about, you know, him being a pastor and what he does. So one of the biggest things that my wife was having trouble with was how can she be Jewish and believe in Jesus? because everything that she'd heard up at that time was, Jesus is not for the Jews. And so she was wrestling with that, and she came upon videos from One for Israel, videos, testimony videos, of Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus. And my son would come home, and he's like, yeah, I just had these great experiences about, about learning about Jesus. And we were like, something's going on here. And so I went back to the gym, and I saw this other guy on the other side of the gym. I was like, he has something in him that I want. He looks happy. He, there's a spark in him. So I went over and I introduced myself and he goes, can I pray for you? And I said, okay, why not? And at the end of the prayer, he says, in Jesus' name. Day after day, I kept coming back to the gym and I had this desire to look for this guy. And I would go up for him to specifically for prayer. And every day I said, in Jesus' name, I started to feel like something was happening. And what I realized over time was that peace, it wasn't the absence of something, it was the presence of something, or should I say, someone. When I heard the name Jesus, when I heard the name Yeshua, when I started to study and read about him, when my family went out into the world, had experiences that were related to Jesus and we came home, we felt life. For the first time, we felt life. And it was at that moment that my wife and I, we got on our knees and we gave our lives to Jesus, Yeshua. And I knew that Jesus was the only one. The only one. And it was at that moment, this energy went through me that I'd never felt before. The depression, the anxiety, the fear, chronic issues that I'd been carrying with me my entire life, in one moment, were gone. So here I am now believing in Jesus and following Jesus and, you know, a new man. And I got to go face my parents again. <laughs> we go down and visit them and, and we just, you know, said, hey, you know, we, uh, we have found new life uh, in, in, in Jesus. And my mom, um, my mom was like, um, you know, that's, that's nice for you, but why can't you just be Jewish? <laughs> you know, why can't you just stay Jewish? And I'm like, mom, if you only knew that following Jesus was the most Jewish thing you could ever do. Jeffrey allowed God's fatherly love to transform him from the inside out. His story shows us the impact a dad's faith can have on his whole family. Jeffrey's kids will now grow up hearing about Yeshua. It is a blessing to be able to share your faith with your family. A blessing that unfortunately was missing from the life of our next story. 
Jeff. Jeff always thought it was impossible to be Jewish and believe in Jesus. But once his Jewish friend from college came to faith, Jeff began to reconsider his stance. Eventually, he does accept Jesus as his Messiah. But when he decides to share this good news with his family, well, you can say they were less than thrilled. Take a listen. You believe in Jesus? Are you out of your mind? You're not Jewish anymore. You are a traitor to your people. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, living in Chicago, uh, my father's parents, I was very close to them. They looked like two characters from the movie Fiddler on the Roof. And I would hang out at their house a lot. Well, especially when my grandma was making a good bowl of kreplach soup. I said to my grandpa, Grandpa, I see that you have received from letters from your cousins in Romania. Would you someday like to go back and hang out with your cousins? And he said, no. I said, Grandpa, why? He said, Pogrom, the farmers who claim to be Christians uh, in a city called Barlad, Romania, came looking for Jewish people to do them harm. And my grandpa and his sister and mother had to hide in the wine cellar. It was the, the 70s, it was the John Travolta era. I was invited to go on the spring trip for the University of Illinois baseball team. It was very early on that I was called into pitch and relief. After our game, my roommate asked me if I would go with him to hear Billy Graham speak that night. I'll take a rain check. Jewish kids from Chicago don't do this kind of thing. My senior year, my friend again told me a famous lady was going to come speak. I said, I'll tell you what, you tell me what this person has to say, I'll take a rain check. He said a lady named Corey Ten Boom and her family were hiding Jewish people in the walls of their home. They actually got caught by the Nazis and her whole family died, not only because of their Christian faith, but because of their love for Israel and the Jewish people. Something inside of me said, whatever the real deal is, this must be it. And so when I was getting ready to pitch in my last game against the University of Michigan State, my friend Neil, after going for a run in the morning, comes into our apartment and blows my mind. Neil was Jewish. He said, Siegs, I need to tell you something. After I read the Hebrew scriptures and a careful examination of what it said, I've come to the conclusion the Messiah has already come. I said, Neil, are you out of your mind? I said, you believe in Jesus? And I said, Neil, you're not Jewish anymore. He said, no, I'm a completed Jew, Jeff. He said, Jeff, if you read it for yourself, I believe you'll come to the same conclusions. What a dilemma. If God really had a son, I'm going to have to see in my book, not their book, I held that Tanakh up to heaven and I prayed a prayer to God. I said, God, can I have a burning bush experience like Moses? One of the things that happened was I came to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will enact a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this new covenant, this new agreement is for Jewish people. There's something to what my friend Neil said. New covenant, New Testament. My mind was blown. I just fell on my knees in front of my bed as I was reading these verses, and I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, Dear God, please enter my heart and please forgive me for the sins of my life. I said, Lord, I'm new at this. I don't know exactly how to do this, but I said, I've longed for that personal relationship, and I realize that Yeshua HaMashiach is my burning bush experience. I said, Dad, after a careful examination of the Hebrew scriptures, I've come to the conclusion that the promised Jewish Messiah has already been here. He said, Son, you are a traitor to your people. You are no longer my son. What you have done in my eyes is worse than Adolf Hitler. Now, this went on for 26 years until a day came when my younger brother decided to go to church and he gave his life to Yeshua. He said, could you do me a favor? Could you tell dad the decision I made? Now, in a 26-year time frame, my dad and I began to have a better relationship. And when I called my dad, I said, dad, I need to tell you something. After a careful examination of the Hebrew scriptures, my younger brother has also made the same decision that I made many years ago. My dad then began to cry. I received the shock of my life. It was only the second time in my life I ever heard him cry. The first time was when he hung the phone up on me when he told me I wasn't his son anymore. And he began not only to cry, but he began to speak in the Hebrew language. He nanny God, he nanny, here I am, here I am. What would you have me to do? I said, Dad, do you want to give your life to Yeshua? He said, yes, I do. For the last two and a half years of his life, we were like best friends. And then the day came when my dad just went to heaven. On that day, when I announced to my father that I gave my life to Yeshua, and he said, you're not my son anymore, my life was turned upside down. But you see, God had a plan. And on that day, it may have seemed bleak, but the Lord saw the future. What a powerful story. Jeff's life-changing decision to follow Yeshua helped change the course of his dad's life too. In his fatherly love, God sought to reconcile us to himself through his son Yeshua's sacrifice. And in turn, this helps reconcile us to one another. The role of a father is challenging and can feel like a long road full of hard work. As providers, protectors, and leaders, the weight of fatherhood can be overbearing, which is why God wants us all to lean on him as the ultimate father. Dads, every battle that you face in the war against fatherhood can be won when you allow God to fight for you. To all the fathers, expecting fathers, and the fathers of the unborn, we hope 
You have a blessed Father's Day. This episode was made thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Sweet, Kyron Bautista, Elizabeth Carp, Bobby Walter, Lawrence Hirsch, Jeffrey Morgan, and Jeff Siegel. And I Found Shalom in partnership with One for Israel. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHoPodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. See you next time.